the pitcher for the Washington Nationals just knocked this out of the park when he said that sports are like the reward of a functioning society. How, folks, that's that's absolutely folks, agree do you to. have any idea what this clown's doing? Socialized medicine. Mr. President. Well, I'll tell you what. If you watch the presidential debate like I did, you might think, well, we don't deserve sports at all. This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. Life for me had a glimmer of normalcy with this. First, it was Korean baseball. Then it was MLS, followed by the NHL and the NBA. They all started in bubbles. Major League Baseball returned to play in their regular venues. But all these restarts were missing one thing. Spectators. The seats were empty. We've seen some baby steps towards the return of paying customers in seats in football. But the question remains, how long can sports really be a thing if the stadiums are, well, mostly empty? Luckily, I know people on the inside who can help us understand what's going on in sports today, how long this disruption might last, and how sports might look different going forward. Listen in. Is the current arrangement sustainable financially? How long can the leagues operate without spectators before this becomes a real financial problem? Well, I can jump in. Shelley Wilkes is a graduate of the DeVos Sports Business Management Program here in the college and was the president of the Lakeland Magic. Now, she's a senior VP for the parent club, the Orlando Magic. Um, I think this is not really sustainable. I don't think it's sustainable from a society standpoint or a team ownership standpoint. I think that we, as sports leagues, really bring fans together. We bring communities together. And that's, that's really what we build our businesses upon is, how do we bring a group of people together to cheer for one common cause? And I think that in the short term, everyone understands where we are as a country, where we are as a, a world uh, with the pandemic. And we're making changes and sacrifices where necessary so that we can continue the game on the field or on the court. And I think everyone wants sports to come back in its entirety we want to have arenas full i mean you're seeing even the games that are happening from the nba standpoint in the bubble i listen to a lot of interviews with the players and and though i think everyone's happy to be playing it's not sustainable you're missing a sense of energy you're missing a sense of uh, camaraderie and community with the way it's currently established um, financially i also don't think it's sustainable in the long term I know in the NBA, um, Adam Silver has said a, a few different times that uh, our current financial model has about 40% of our revenues coming from ticket sales and people in the building. So financially, definitely not a long-term um, option for us. I think one of the biggest things that has to be considered in this is the return on investment that media partners are then going to get. John Elba gives us the media angle on the discussion. He's a sports reporter and anchor for Spectrum Sports on News 13 here in Orlando. 
when we had the beginning of this pandemic and there were no sports, there was obviously quite a thirst from spectators. So they'd be desperate to watch anything. We remember NASCAR went the route of having the iRacing, the, the, the electronic racing that fans were turning in in droves just to watch. Where now, kind of what Shelley was saying, where you have 40% of the NBA league model set up on spectators actually being in attendance for, well, in the last 10 years, 20 years especially, we've seen these huge media rights deals become the main proprietor and driver of these gigantic league revenues that we see. And if the media partners aren't feeling like they're getting a return on investment, I I don't see how any way there would be any sustainability without fans in the stands. John, if I can follow up on that. First, let me admit to watching Korean baseball games at 3 o'clock in the morning. Life was desperate for a while. But is, is viewership up or down? For the leagues. I, I haven't actually followed that. I, I think it's a case by case thing where you will see th- there's an immediate payoff for some and, and then it slowly drags off, whereas some other leagues may not necessarily be experiencing that. Uh, the, the content right now that people are most interested in is national news and national news is doing record numbers for a variety of reasons right now. And I think that that has maybe slowed down some sports, but there are also other sports who are thriving tremendously at this time. And right now, especially referring to the NBA, I mean, they've got a chance to grab a ton of eyes as they march towards the NBA finals here. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a, as John mentioned, um, there's a certain target demographic where ratings are doing extremely well. Brian Wright is the general manager of the San Antonio Spurs. In fact, He's the youngest GM in the NBA. He's a graduate of our DeVos program and is the youngest alum ever inducted in the College of Business Hall of Fame at UCF. I think the NBA has been the most viewed television program, broadcast and cable among adults 1849 on 20 of the 25 nights of playoff coverage so far. Um, And obviously it's at the point in time uh, when we started in the summer where historically you know, uh, television viewership rates are, are at a lower place um, than when they are at other points in time. So I think it's it's really done well. Um, but again, you know, I think the entire pandemic has disrupted our, our way of life as a society and it's d- disrupted the sports industry. And I think from that, you'll see some things that obviously to Shelley and John's point need to change in order for the model to be sustainable. But that disruption probably caused us to look at how we provide content um, to our fans, to our to our media partners, et cetera, that create a unique and different experience for those that may not be in the building. And I think there's a, a ton to be learned there. Let me play with some alternative versions of the future, if you don't mind, and tell me whether I'm nuts or not. Let, let's go there for a minute. The bubbles seem to work in the sense that they protect the players from the virus. They're able to sustain the game. Could you imagine traveling bubbles where the teams and the leagues go from city to city, perhaps where the virus is low and, and would have fans there? I'm taking the example of, I know they do this in, in rugby some, and I know they do it in lacrosse, 
where the entire league will go to a particular venue and they will make it like a carnival atmosphere for the weekend. And they'll play a variety of games there. Major League Baseball is doing something sort of similar without the fans for the playoffs. Anybody think that's a workable idea? I think that in the short term, as a short-term solution, getting kind of to the next phase of what playing in a pandemic looks like, I certainly think that that is probably one of the many options on the table. I, again, John mentioned this too, I, I think in the long term, when we go back to the sustainability model of leagues, we do have a lot of revenue in ticket sales, but we have a lot of revenue in partnership deals. And when you don't have people in your stands and you're not able to take and take care of your partners within the building with the rights that they have purchased, whatever those marketing rights may be, I think you're you're setting yourself up for failure in the long term again, based on not having your home game experience, your home rights experiences. I just I don't think it's long term sustainable. I think that it again could be a short term solution uh, to get us past the pandemic, but I can't imagine that's going to be something that could live on for years. But to Brian's point, it could be something when we talk about spreading the game. I mean, you could almost say not in a bubble format, but you could almost say that that's what we do on the international scale in the NBA is we take a couple of teams over to Europe or over to China and we play in a couple of different cities and in that in that kind of festival atmosphere. And that's really for fan building and fan growth. So not in the bubble atmosphere, but kind of the same model of, of bringing the sport to different places. But in the pandemic and how we really solve for where we are, I just don't think that that would uh, be a sustainable model for teams or for leagues. Well, it would be hard to do over 82 games. But if you're, if you're playing an 18-game schedule like the NFL, I don't know. Well, allow me to kind of play devil's advocate here yeah, as someone yeah. who covers the sport rather than working on the inside of it. Maybe it comes down to the point where you have to reconsider what your model is for profiting and, and for how you distribute your money. The reality is in a lot of sports, I'm not necessarily saying the NBA because I do think the NBA is a relatively affordable fan experience, but there are a lot of sports where you go to a major league baseball game. There's 81 home games a year for a team and the average day at the ballpark for a single person is going to run you well over a hundred bucks, if not more. Whereas the original model used to be sustainable in that it costs you maybe a grand total of 20 bucks to go to a ball game. The average fan has been outpriced. So they're consuming the sports in a different way where now you get your big TV at home, you got your smartphone. There are different ways they can consume it without having to spend all that money to go to the ballpark, to go to the stadium, to go to the arena. And I, I cover the combat sports industry pretty mm -hmm. in depth, uh, including WWE, which has rented out Amway Center here in Orlando yeah. for a two-month stay. Mm -hmm. And they ended up putting all these video screens, even like five times more than what the NBA had going. And by doing that, they have saved, and I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying this, they have saved tens of millions of dollars on production costs that they may reevaluate once things start to become quote, quote unquote normal, where they don't have to go on the road as much and spend all those production costs because they know that fans can consume the content in a different way and they can cut back on traveling. Brian, thoughts? I'm kind of like you. Uh, I always just think of why not. So uh, having a, a regional type of setup, like you mentioned, I, I think the difficulty with that comes with logistics and cost. And 
how often, you know, how long are you in each city? You know, how many games are you playing? That type of thing. But I do think, you know, just from a playing standpoint, if you look at the performances in the bubble, it's been an unbelievable playoff run uh, for a magnitude of reasons. And I think you do start to ask yourself, well, what's different? What's changed? What's caused it to, to, to go so well for the games to be so good, for it to be so competitive? You know, is it, is it about travel? Is it about mm-hmm. rest? Is it, you know, there are a lot of different things that you can factor in. And the one thing you know that you want back are the fans in the building for that energy and environment. But I do think there's a lot of things that you can learn from that five years from now may alter the way that, you know, the game is produced or where, you know, how it looks. Some of that to what you mentioned could be a, a cost uh, issue. And, and also, you know, how long are we in this type of pandemic situation? But I do think, again, there's some learnings that cause you to ask why not? And then what does, how does that alter the game or the experience for the fans or what have you for the next, you know, five to 10 years moving forward? Let me go to my craziest thought on this. If we can do this without fans and we can maintain viewership, when will a network say, well, this is just a TV show. Why don't we own it and eliminate the middleman, which would be the leagues? I mean, the WWE model is an interesting one, John. Yeah, it, it, that's it pretty close is. to it. It, it. it is pretty close to it. And right now, WWE is in the middle of its most lucrative contracts that it's ever had with Fox Broadcast and with the USA Network and NBC Universal, But... At the end of the day, I mean, we are talking about the leagues are the ones that are providing the service and they are so well established and ingrained in American sports society that we've seen networks attempt to have startups and they just have not been successful or with new startups. So I'm not so sure that that's something that's on the immediate horizon. Anyone else have thoughts about that? I just think that um, there's a lot more that goes into the game on the court than the game on the court. And so I think trying to have a network uh, get into a business that is not really their core business, because there are, you know, in Brian's world alone, just Mm -hmm. the recruitment of players, the, you know, keeping people wanting to come to play to cities, which is its own thing, you know, wanting them to be a part of different teams. And maybe in your model, there's not cities, right? There's broadcast rights and you're playing for a team regardless of where you live. But I think that there there's a lot of pieces that go together to create a culture of winning um, on the basketball court that has nothing to do with the program of the game, the two and a half hour broadcast, right? There's a lot more pieces a part of building a team. And so I, I struggle with that one a bit as well. Is um, it is a crazy idea, and I love that you're uh, thinking outside the box about how we can uh, sustain sports uh, in what could be a longer term situation here. But I do struggle with that one just because of all the other pieces that go into maintaining a sports team. Yeah, I'm not sure that it wouldn't even come down to financial risk sharing. I mean, that would be a lot to take on. Right as 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 a television entity, I don't I don't know. Yeah, it, it's something I, I I I'm not sure that it's out of the realm of possibility. I agree with you that I don't think it's immediate, but if things continue for a while, hmm, because I, I'm not sure how much 
longer the sustainability financial sustainability for the leagues is going to be so when do you think things are going to get back to normal anybody got thoughts on that that's a loaded question right there (laughs) you know i I think you have to determine what is normal right that's kind of where things start i i think and i i just think this sean doolittle the pitcher for the washington nationals just knocked this out of the park when he said that sports are like the reward of a functioning society. And right now we are just so far from that on so many different levels. And you can obviously hope for a vaccine. You can hope for a bunch of other things to fall into place from a health standpoint, but then there are the other things and we've seen how impassioned and and obviously Brian and Shelley can speak more to this than I can, but the impassioned response of these players to what's happening in society, in American society, I think that's a real thing. And that's a real tangible effect on their mental psyche that, and and to me, that's why it's all that more impressive why you have two teams like the Heat and the Lakers who have managed to get to the NBA finals and and make it this far because of the mental toll that this season has taken. Mm -hmm. So as far as normalcy, I'm really not sure on that. Well, it's a lot easier to control the players than it is the fans. I mean, witness what happened at Florida State a couple of weekends ago, right, where mask wearing was not common, (laughs) if if I could put it that way. It's hard for me to imagine without an effective vaccine that we're going to get back to normal anytime soon. Anybody else have thoughts on that? You know, I think the NBA's got a whole other season to go through, for example. Yeah, I think we... I don't know what normal looks like either. I don't know when that happens. I mean, you listen to Dr. Fauci and he's, he's telling you end of next year. Um, And then again, it goes back to what's normal, right? Like, do we want to go back to normal? I know personally for me, when we just talk about the, the work world and where we're at, you know, we're, we're still working remotely and it's kind of changed my perspective on, the the need for a commute every day and rushing out the door with my two daughters and and really kind of accepting that this is okay and that we can slow down a little bit um so i think there's some good that is coming out of this i think the social justice movement that has been happening is i think has had so many eyeballs on it because we were speaking earlier about people really paying attention to the news they there's not a lot else uh they're home they're really paying attention to what's happening. And I think that movement is so powerful because people are paying attention finally. And I think, again, do we want to go back to normal? What does normal mean? The, when we get back, when we talk about normal just in sports and having full arenas with 20,000 fans in the NBA, however many in the NFL day to day, I do think we have some time still. And I think we have time. I think even if the vaccine comes out, I think people there's going to be just a change in behavior, a comfortability with being around one another, a comfortability of trusting um, the vaccine and trusting how the medical world is responding. So I, I, I think we're a solid nine to 12 months from what we would maybe consider normal. I hope it's sooner than that. I know the NBA, we're strongly pushing to play in front of fans and figuring out a way to do that, uh, whether that's, you know, if there's rapid testing opportunities, if there's shifting how capacity levels in buildings, that kind of stuff. So we're paying very close attention to what um, college football and the NFL is doing right now. 
and hopeful that we can find a solution for the 2021 season that allows us to have fans in our buildings. Brian, do you see fans in the building in the upcoming season? You know, we hope, and you see it with the NFL where they're operating in some places with, with limited fans, same thing in college. And I, I, I do think, as Shelly said, that's the goal. And I think we'll get there. I think the, the, the biggest thing, and both John and Shelly mentioned it, was you've got to define your new normal. And that's everything um, from experiences to interactions um, and how the game is played. And so I think as long as you're open to, to listening, and I think that's where the NBA has been far and above um, a lot of sports leagues is from everything from the, from the social justice initiatives to, to creating a bubble and safe environment um, to thinking about how we move forward great organizations that lead through this situation have to be great listening organizations. What do your fans want to feel comfortable? What do your players need to feel comfortable? What does the environment have to be like to have everybody comfortable, but also create an experience that's fun and exciting and, and, and entertainment for everyone. And so I think, you know, the new normal will start with, being a great listening organization and understanding the needs of who you're serving. Um, and, you know, building out from there allows us to create what that new normal is. And, and again, you know, if we think normal will be just going right back to the way it was, I think there's an opportunity lost to grow. You know, if you look in every industry, disruption is something that changes it for the better uh, oftentimes. And, COVID has definitely been a disruption to this business. And and some of it, you know, is, is definitely negative, but I do think there'll be some positive things that we can learn from it. Shelly mentioned the re remote work and work from home. And what does that allow you to do when you look at hiring talent and bringing people into your organization? If, you're, if you have remote work, that expands your landscape and pool that you can choose from. So there are a lot of different things that we will learn from this situation and hopefully come out better. But it starts with being an incredible listening organization and, and league. And I think to this point, the NBA has done an amazing job at that. Well, isn't it amazing too, that like we've packed 20,000 people into arenas and never had like hand sanitizing stations before. <laughs> like, like to me, it just even starts with things as, as remedial as that. How do you think though, it'll change the fan experience going forward? Brian touched on this a little bit, but if you had, two or three things that you might think would fundamentally change going forward, what might it be? Well, I think you're seeing it right now. I mean, we've, in Orlando, we've moved this way, and I know a lot of sports teams are moving this way, just from the ease of um, food ordering and delivery to seats and uh, entering the building with your mobile device versus printing tickets. I think that there's the technology mm -hmm. advances that are going to happen. I think that that alone will increase. I mean, my husband actually works for Disney and technology and they're seeing previously before the pandemic, they had mobile food ordering and, you know, they had a, a minimal amount of people, maybe 9% a day actually utilizing that experience. And now it's over 90% are mobile ordering wow. from restaurants. And that's how they're ensuring safety um, for capacity numbers and food delivery, etc. I think that you'll start to see a much greater technology adoption, which does create a better fan experience from that standpoint. And then I think to Brian's earlier point, I mean, we're figuring out how to include people 
in the game experience who are not actually in the building. And I think the WWE has done a fantastic job of that. The NBA has done a great job from the bubble. And I think that we will start to innovate and find new ways to expand the game experience outside of those 18,000 people that are at a game. And I think all of those advances will be hugely rewarding for the teams and for the fans as part of the experience. But I'm sure that this is going to have a long-term ripple effect for those positive advances as well. Does that also provide new revenue stream opportunities? For Absolutely. You? I mean, with those new forms. Of yeah, engagement? even if you think about yeah. what the league has done with the virtual <laughs> fans experience, that was a new partner with Michelob yeah. Ultra. They were not a partner of the league. Um, they came on board for that experience. Microsoft came on board and launched that experience within this past six months. So you're already seeing at the league level how there are business opportunities and business advances because of that. John, how do you think sports coverage will change going forward? Do you think there are impacts there? Yeah, I, I think one thing that we're seeing now is virtual coverage is significantly easier to do than what some others had maybe asserted beforehand. I, I can even speak personally. The idea of doing a virtual interview for a story that I was putting together would have been like absolute last case scenario, if not impossible when putting together pieces. Whereas now that's a very real mm -hmm. alternative that I would say has become the norm more than anything else in this period. And I could definitely see that opening up a whole new can of worms in terms of who gets access to sporting events, because with that, you can now credential bloggers. You could credential people who don't consistently cover an NBA franchise. And maybe that's for better. Maybe that's for worse. I'm, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. But it definitely creates more accessibility in that regard. But on the flip side of that, I can say that being in a locker room covering players after games, you pick up on things that maybe the person on the zoom call wouldn't be able to pick up on whether it's body language or you hear something and as a reporter your job is to be that mediator to provide that link between consumer and product so i could see there being some pretty radical changes in that regard all right then one, one last question i'm gonna ask each of you to answer this is sports without spectators still going to be a thing two years from now yes or no and why <laughs> what's funny is i feel like when you have dissenters people who are like well let's be cautious let's be careful then you get this whole backlash of oh how, how dare you not be optimistic how dare you assert that but i i think we'll have spectators back within the next i think the time frame that shelly gave is perfect nine to twelve months to what degree i'm not entirely sure i think the more fascinating aspect of all this will be to see how teams and franchises and entities adapt 
and bring in these new business models that present sports in a way that we haven't been familiar with in the past, whether that's in person, whether that's virtually, whether it's from a media coverage standpoint, and see how we continue to evolve because sports and sports coverage and sports presentation have evolved so much in the last 10, 15 years as is. So for as terrible as these circumstances have been, maybe it will provide some pretty cool opportunities going forward. Shelley? Yeah, it's my business to be optimistic in this. So um, I strongly believe we will have full arenas in two years. I think we will uh, inch our way there over the next 12 months and figure out what's going to be the safest for our players, our fans, and our staff. Uh, but I absolutely have to believe that in two years we will be playing in front of spectators and that the sports industry will uh, come back. It's, it's historically been the thing that brings people back together after tragedy and after um, – issues that have happened in our communities and and we will be there uh, once we're able to do that as well. Brian, you get the last word, my friend. Well, Shelly was ahead of me in the divorce program, so I'm just going to follow her lead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm a, a eternal optimist as well. So I do believe that will happen, but I, I also believe that we'll, we'll come out better because I think we're going to have a newfound appreciation for, the fan that does not enter the building and what does their experience look like on a daily basis? How are they interacting with your, your team, your brand as you build out moving forward? And I think that's only going to make the power of sports, the leagues and the teams that much stronger. We'll understand digital better. We'll understand, you know, virtual fan experiences a lot better. And I think how we come out of this on the back end will be that much different. So Shelly's always been a leader, so I'll just continue continue to follow uh, Shelly's lead on the optimism. But I, I do think we will get fans back in the building, and I do think this will create an opportunity for us to build a whole new fan experience that maybe we hadn't captured prior to the pandemic. Well, thank you all for participating. Brian, you have a future in politics, if that's the way that you <laughs> want to go, my friend. <laughs> but I kind of already knew that. Shelly, I think you hit on the key point here. Consumers are going to decide this not the leagues. Yep. Right. Exactly. I mean, they've got to feel safe coming back in huge numbers. That's going to be the key. And it's kind of hard to know when that'll actually be. But I certainly look forward to the day when I can travel to Lakeland for watching my Tigers spring training games. Um, can't come soon enough. So hopefully things get back to normal here within the next year. But I do think it's going to be a year. I do. It's my podcast. So I get to go last. I think I may have asked the wrong question today. My dad was a Detroit Tiger fan for 83 years. He was a fan long before he was a spectator. In fact, I think he probably only attended a dozen games in his entire life. The Tigers for him were Ernie Harwell's voice on the radio. He listened to every game, every season. He of course was not alone. The pandemic has made it painfully clear that there has always been more fans than spectators. Brian used the phrase virtual fan. I know that's code for how to monetize the fan base, but I'm still not exactly sure I know how the virtual fans experience will be different than my dad's or the typical television viewer. During this weird year of 2020, it certainly includes fans on electronic screens at NBA and MLS tournament games but I doubt that lasts longer than the day stadiums are back to full capacity. If the virtual fan is a long-term thing, 
they are probably shelling out money for some new subscription service, a social media platform, or maybe both. Maybe 10 years from now, we'll see 2020 as the birth of the virtual fan and a shift in the revenue base for sports leagues. Or just maybe we'll be back to increasing ticket prices at stadiums filled to capacity. What do you think? Check us out online and share your thoughts at business.ucf.edu slash podcast. You can also find extended interviews with our guests and notes from the show. Special thanks to my producer, Josh Miranda, and the whole team at the Office of Outreach and Engagement here at the UCF College of Business. And thank you for listening. Until next time, charge on. Internet killed the video star.